Hey, this is Nate Dancer with Purity for Life. On Saturday, November 11th, the leadership of Pure Life Ministries answered your questions at our first ever live stream men's sexual sin Q&A. We answered questions like, how do I effectively deal with temptation? As your lifestyle becomes different, the lifestyle of a victorious Christian, that's when you're prepared to deal with temptation. But there's no tricks, you know, there's no little trick you can come up with when the temptation hits you, snap a rubber band or something, it's ridiculous. It's your daily life is what prepares you to win that battle when it comes. Here's another one we tackled. If Paul said that it's better to marry than to burn with passion, why does your website say that marriage will not solve my lust problem? Getting married can help somebody in some cases deal with that burning passion, but it's never going to be a cure for that, and it never will by itself. So I think ultimately, Nate, what the Bible teaches us here is that it takes the same grace and power to fight lust as a single person. That's the same grace and power that you need to fight lust as a married person, too. In today's show, we'll give you the chance to hear the audio from that event. Here we go. All right. Well, welcome to everybody who's on our YouTube channel and viewing our live stream Men's Sexual Sin Q&A. And for anyone who's watching afterward on Facebook or our website or wherever you might be, we're really glad that you're here. We've been praying for this event a lot. And um, first of all, I just want to explain for those of you who are not as familiar with Pure Life Ministries, who we have here. Uh, joining me, we've got Steve Gallagher, the founder of Pure Life Ministries. Ed Book, the uh, executive director of, what is it? No, it's the vice president for counseling programs. Uh, I haven't practiced this part. Jordan Yoshimine, the executive director for counseling programs, and Luke Imperato, the uh, director of our residential counseling program. Thank you guys for coming in. Um, I want to uh, just point out real quick that we're going to talk for an hour about some really common questions about sexual sin, but most likely you're going to want to know more about what we do, why we do it, how we do it, and so you can find that on our website, purelifeministries.org. We also have a smartphone app that you can download and get access to all of our videos and teaching materials. Um, you can also go to our website. Oh, I already mentioned that, didn't I? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, there's a lot of links in our description, so you can feel free to check that out. Um, the other thing I wanted to say before we get started is I think it's really important to establish why Pure Life Ministries exists, why we do what we do, and our approach I don't know why Pastor Steve is making me do this since he founded the ministry, but okay, I'm doing it. <laughs> um, you know, I came to Pure Life Ministries 15 years ago, and I think I was probably very representative of many of the people who came to Pure Life. That's why you're doing it. Okay. <laughs> I was a professing Christian man going to church, well acquainted with... Um, some of the theology. I was immersed in the Christian subculture, but 
my real life, the, the thing that was driving me in life was my desire for sexual pleasure. It was what I loved, it was what I thought about, it was what I pursued. And when I came to Pure Life, what I found out was that really what had been happening in my life was that I had been giving my heart to something very corrupt, something very evil, something that was destroying my life and from my life was going out and destroying and, and harming other people in the process. And what needed to happen in my life was not just a few outward alterations, but a spiritual transformation mm -hmm. that was going to require Jesus, the living God, to go into my inner being and begin to extract all of the love of sin, the love of myself, the pride, the love of the world. It was going to have to be something more than just learning how to deal with temptation and learning how to deal with pornography, but a very real transformation. So I just wanted to let you know that's where we're coming from with all of our answers to the questions that we'll be answering today. The first one I want to start off with, I'll direct this to Pastor Steve. Terrell wrote, how do I effectively deal with temptation? Um, here's how I have thought about it. Let me just make a statement that you don't win the battle of temptation when the temptation comes. You win it in your daily life. And the best way I could think of to describe that is because back in the day, back in my sin days, really, I was like into boxing. I liked that sort of stuff. Um, we're talking 40 years ago, okay? <laughs> but one thing I know about boxing is that when you get in the ring with your opponent, you better be in the best condition of your life. The guys who um, you okay, I used to go to a boxing gym and work out, and you would see the what I would call the hangers-on, and these are the guys who they're they're boxers, they're professionals, but they don't take it that serious. So, like instead of running ten miles, they run two miles. They're sparring partners. They want someone who's easy, you know, to to be their sparring partners. They're not working out like that, but the champions are the guys who work out. I mean, they drill themselves, and they are after it. They are serious, and it's a daily life of preparing for when they get in the ring. And I would liken um, the life of victory like that because we don't know when you're going to get hit with temptation because the enemy times temptations. And um, you don't know when that'll be. You can't, like, work yourself up or something and get ready for it because it just hits you, usually when you least expect it. And when you are, um, the way you get prepared for that is your daily life and the disciplines of the Christian life, you know. So having a prayer life, having a, a time of Bible study, the way you treat other people, the way you extend yourself to others instead of just living for yourself, you know, having something in your life where you're sacrificially giving of yourself to other people, for instance. Uh, those kinds of, um, is really, it's the lifestyle, that's a word I use a lot, lifestyle, 
Guys who have been addicted to pornography or sexual sin, they need a complete lifestyle change, really what you just described. And so, you know, it's as your lifestyle becomes different, the lifestyle of a victorious Christian, that's when you're prepared to deal with temptation. But there's no tricks. You know, there's no little trick you can come up with when the temptation hits you, snap a rubber band or something. It's ridiculous. It's your daily life is what prepares you to win that battle when it comes. Hmm. Um, Luke, you got anything that you want to add to that? Well, I do agree that, you know, Christianity is a lifestyle. It's a it's a walk, I think, as the scriptures describe it in several different ways. And so one of the aspects of overcoming temptation, I think, is living in the light. You can't be hiding things, hiding fantasies and thoughts and desires, and then expect when you're given the opportunity that you're just going to deny it. You've got to live in the light and confess things and, and be open and honest with someone who's helping you in your walk with the Lord. You know, So I've just found that living in the light is very helpful and it's key when battling temptations because most of the temptations honestly they start with a thought they start with a a fantasy something going on inside and just like do yourself a favor and get that stuff out just talk to your pastor talk to your parents talk to whoever you need to say hey I just want to let you know last week I've been really battling this desire to do this I haven't had the opportunity I don't even think I want to do it or will do it but it's there can you just get, get it out and that's one of the ways that we just have fellowship with the Lord and fellowship with one another. Mm. Yeah. Um, just a follow-up question. What are some ways that you've seen someone say, I want to fight temptation, but I don't want a lifestyle change? What are some ways that that comes out? Pastor Ed? Anybody? My knee-jerk reaction is, that's impossible. <laughs> well, no, no, I guess what I mean is, like, you're talking to somebody and they're like, I want to fight temptation, and then you start talking to them about their life and saying, well, let's look at this aspect, and they go, oh, wait a second, no. Like, what are some of those areas that people don't want to change yeah. that basically means you're not going to respond to temptation the way you want to? Sure, I think it's when we limit ourselves to just the sexual immorality. Like you have something and I'm coming to the Lord and saying, God, can you help me with my porn addiction or whatever that I'm dealing with that's just this filthy thing that I don't want to go and don't want to admit. And then the Lord's like, okay, but before we deal with that, I want to talk about your pride or I want to talk about that bitterness. And I want to talk about that fear that you're living in and then anxiety. And you're like, no, 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 God, I'm just talking about the sexual sin. And the Lord's like, I mean, yeah, I could set you free from that sexual sin, but it's much more bigger than that. This is a lifestyle change. This is a character of who you are. And if we just limit it to the sexual sin, then you're really kind of cutting yourself short for what a godly man should look like. Mm. You know? Yeah, and I would throw maybe the word priorities in there. Like that's yes. an area that people just don't like to change. But as Pastor Steve was talking, you know, it's having a life in God and preparing by uh, being in the Word and through prayer and all those things, you know, having yourself prepared before you ever get to the temptation piece of it. And if you're not willing to change the priorities of your life, yeah. you're never going to actually be prepared when the temptation comes in mm. those cases. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So like, well, I don't want the temptation, but I'm totally fine with my addiction to sports. Yeah. Like, 
That's right. no problem. Don't yeah. touch that. Screens, Just help me with entertainment, right, all right, of right, it. Right. Yeah, I don't want to let go of any of those things or even diminish them. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay, and I think what y'all are saying, y'all, <laughs> since we're in Kentucky, what y'all are saying is just that you, it doesn't work that way. If we pick and choose and say, "Help me with this, but leave all this alone," I think the Lord is like, "It's not how it works." I'll just add that. You know, men tend to compartmentalize their lives. We live in boxes, you know. So this is my my porn box right here. Just fix that box, Lord, and, you know, the rest is okay. I'm okay. Because you know why? Because people have such a superficial perspective of what the Christian life is supposed to be, you know. And so porn is a bad thing. Sexual sin is a bad thing. In other words, in the church culture, those are things that are looked down on, whereas um, having an anger problem with your wife, you know, people in the church wouldn't say much about that or being a gossip or dealing with envy or pride. Those are like not a big deal, but it's a very big deal to the Lord. You know, your whole lifestyle, it's, it's your life. It's not just one little segment or something, and that's how what— how men want to try to deal with it is just this little segment. If you just fix this, then my wife won't be mad at me, etc. Okay. All right. Thank you guys for all of that. That's awesome. Um, I want to talk about, uh, we, had, we had a question come in from Manuel, and he said, can God forgive me for masturbation? I've done it a lot, and I really want to stop but every time I think of not doing it, a very strong urge overpowers me. When I'm done, I feel so messed up. Can God forgive me despite promising that I wouldn't do it again? And, okay, this is about masturbation, but that can relate to a lot of different behaviors that people have been enslaved to. Um, Pastor Ed, can you answer that question? Yeah, uh, because, I mean, it really has a very short answer, and the answer is yes, God can mm. <laughs> and will forgive us. Uh, I think most of us have probably lived in that place a little bit ourselves, even where we tried, but it just wasn't working. And, you know, we made our little commitments and promises, but they fell apart. But, you know, when, when you really come to know the Lord as he is, uh, you see his heart and uh, he is willing to forgive. There, he's eager to forgive. I think there's even a verse uh, in one of the Psalms that says something like that. He's eager to forgive our sins, but he is looking for repentance, and that's got to be there. There's gonna, there, there isn't going to be any substitute. You're not going to feel or really have the forgiveness of of the Lord and that that refreshing that comes from it uh, until you've come into a, a serious, genuine repentance. Um, and so. You know, repentance, it starts with just even really agreeing with God that, that what you're doing is sin. And when it comes to masturbation, that's one of the gray areas that, you know, sometimes mm. people struggle with. Is this even sin or not? So it is sin. And, you know, I'm sure on our website you can find some resources that will help address that if, if you're looking for an answer to that question. But um, – I think in his question, he said something like he's being overpowered. Uh, his self-control is getting overpowered. And, um, you know, that self-control that he's lacking is a fruit of the Spirit. And it's uh, one of the fruits that arises from the Holy Spirit 
possessing us and working in our lives uh, the way he needs to. So, you know, in the short term, uh, Manuel or, or anyone in this position needs to just keep um, fighting those lustful urges as best they can. But that means, you know, really seriously crying out to the Lord, uh, making sure that they, they're not making provision for the flesh somewhere in their life, asking others for intercessory prayer, uh, like Luke talked about, walking in the light, you know, doing some of those things in the short run will help. But there is a long-term response that needs to happen here, and that is really developing that relationship with the Lord to the point where you're acquiring that self-control, where the Holy Spirit actually is like ruling in your inside world. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, when we're in sexual sin, the fact of the matter is we're living a very self-centered life, and we have to experience a transformation to the place where we're living a Christ-centered life. And that's where the victory is going to come. Hmm. Anyone like to respond? Yeah, I am in complete agreement with Pastor Ed. The thing that helped me when it came to masturbation was not, again, dealing with the masturbation as the act itself. Like, that's not the issue. Like, for me, it's like, why do I want to masturbate? Well, because it feels good, and I want to do it. It's what Pastor Ed was talking about, that self-centered life that I want to please myself, I want to entertain myself, I want to um, escape, I want, I want, I want, I want. And so when I was crying out to the Lord for um, victory over masturbation, it was like I had to get to the point when talking about repentance, it's like, yes, I need to repent of the masturbation, but Lord, I want what I want. I, this feels good, Lord. Help me with my self-centeredness. Help me with my selfishness. And then when you come into the light, like Luke is talking about, you begin to see just how much your self-life infiltrates every area of your life. And so it's not just about masturbation. It's like, wow, like I want to masturbate. I want to go out and have sex with people. I want to watch streaming services until 3 in the morning. I want to be on on YouTube all night, not even sexual sin, but watching YouTube, 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 video after video. It's all this self-centered lifestyle. And when when I really realized that and repented of that and asked the Lord for help with my self-life and every aspect that that entails, then victory started happening, not just in sexual sin, but in other areas of my life as well. Hmm. Man, that's good stuff. Does anybody else have anything that that brings up before we move on to the next question? Okay. So, I mean, I think that this um, this next question is probably going to bring up a lot of the same kinds of thoughts. But um, Terrell asked, how effective are content filters in the battle against porn addiction? I think Pastor Steve, you had wanted to answer that. Uh, yeah, I will. Uh, well, I'd, I mean, someone else certainly can too. The only thought that came to me with that is something I told someone like 20, 30 years ago. Um, by that point, I was walking in victory. I was living a victorious life. I was ministering all over the country and all that kind of stuff. And I said to the guy, someone, I was in a conversation, and I said, you know, 364 days of the year, I have no problems. I don't think about 
sexual sin, all that kind of stuff. That's not me anymore. That does not define who I am because at that point, I was all about helping people, ministering across the country. That was my life. You know, it had become different. And I said, but one day out of the year, I'm, you know, I'm just saying that whatever it was, yeah. but that one day out of the year, I am not to be trusted. So that's why I have always had a filter on my phone, my computer. It's not because I'm addicted. I'm, I haven't been addicted in 38 years, you know, but there's just every now and then all the stars line up hormonally. The enemy sets something up, puts a porn magazine in front of me. I'm talking about, you know, 30 years ago, I'd be out on a prayer walk in some part of the country I was going to be ministering, and there's a porn magazine out in the middle of a field, you know, that kind of stuff. But when all those things would line up, um, yeah, I'd, I wouldn't be able to trust myself to do the right thing, and I didn't on a number of occasions. But so what's the point of a filter? It's to protect you when you're weak. You know, at that time when you are weak, you need that extra guard to make sure that you don't do something stupid that you're really going to regret. Mm. So that's all I wanted to say about it. Okay. So it's not a solution. It's a help. The solution happens in your heart. You know, when I was an addict, um, yeah, <laughs> there better be a content filter with 15 locks on it, you know, back in those days. But it does help, and it can help a guy break the habit of uh, pornography, you know, to have that filter or whatever. And also, you know, we use Covenant Eyes here a lot, and um, I like it because it also uh, reports what you're doing to a, a friend or whoever you sign up for it. And so you're not going to – because guys will try to get around the filter – but with covenant eyes or those kinds of filters, you not only you may be able to get around it, but you're also that report is going to that partner you're signed up with, and they're going to find out about it right away. Mm. So you are going to answer for it. Mm. So it's it's just a good way, like Luke said earlier about being in the open in the light, and that helps you to do that. Mm. Anyone else want to respond to that? I just have a brief thought and nothing too major. It's just like I think sometimes we use the blame-shifting approach when we're to sidestep repentance. And when I have a filter on and then it doesn't do its job or I find my way around it, then I blame the filter for not being effective. Or my accountability partner, he wasn't checking his reports every day. And so sometimes it would just warn against using um, accountability or filtering software as like your actual strength mm -hmm. and it just becomes it's it's not it's there like you're saying it's it's not there to fix the heart issues there to help you and you can't blame shift and sidestep repentance because your accountability filter isn't working well mm. yeah and I would just add on to that is what Pastor Steve was saying is that the content filters filters can help you initially resist that temptation, but then it gives you an opportunity. You should take that opportunity to do the hard work because we're all hearing the same thing. You need to deal with a heart issue. First Samuel uh, 16, 7 says, God does not look on appearance, the outward appearance, but on the heart, 
right? Uh, Matthew 5, when he's talking about committing adultery, it's not, it's not uh, the actual act, it's what's in the heart. So we have to deal with the heart. So content filters, yes, we all have content filters as staff on our phones for exactly what Pastor Steve was saying. But for a person who's just coming out of sexual sin or wants to come, yes, do that, but then allow the Lord to deal with your heart. Mm. Um, Psalm 139, 23, 24, my, one of my favorite verses. Search me, O God, test my anxieties, see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, now that I'm, I don't have that immediate temptation, start doing a heart work. Come into the light, Lord. Expose what needs to be exposed. It's a heart issue. Content filter, good, but it's only there for you to really deal with the heart issues. Mm. Yeah, and I, I mean, it seems like... Um in these days especially, that has to be just um, shouted from the rooftops because, uh, you know, 15 years ago or whatever, a content filter could block a lot of stuff, but now you can just go to any any little store and buy a burner phone. If you really want sin, you can just, it's so readily accessible. And so there's no real way around it anymore. There's no there's no foolproof sa- or fail-proof safeguard left. <laughs> um, so if the heart isn't dealt with, then we're setting ourselves up for failure. Yeah. Um, let's talk about another thing that I think has been confusing for a lot of people, which is the issue of, is marriage a God-given answer? to lust, uh, which is, okay, it's going to be a little controversial, <laughs> so that's why we gave it to Pastor Ed. Um, but the question is, if Paul wrote, it is better to marry than burn with lust, why do people, and mostly I think they're asking us, why do you say that marriage is not going to fix your lust problem? Yeah, well, this is a really good question, and I I get it a lot. A lot of people do walk around with this question, and they probably even have had somebody counsel them along those those lines, you know, telling them if they're single, you know, one of the things they should be looking to do is get married, and it'll help them with their problem. Um, I think this question really highlights one of the problems that arises whenever we take a, a snippet of a verse or a verse and we remove it from its context and try to make some make a little too much of it. Uh, so to me, the context here of this verse, first of all, in 1 Corinthians 7, 9 is really important because Paul's not laying out some divine plan on how to overcome sexual immorality here. That's not what he's doing at all. He's, overall in this chapter, he's talking about marriage and more specifically, he's drawing a, a contrast a number of ways between someone who's getting married versus someone who's staying single. You know, So that's the real context. And if you just back up a couple of verses. I uh, have that here in front of me. If we start in verse 7, what Paul wrote to the Corinthians was, for I wish that all men were even as I myself. Now, just pause there for a second. Even as he is, he's saying he's single. So some say he's a widower at this point, that his wife has died. Others say he's never married. It doesn't really matter. He's single at this point. So, and Paul's saying, for I wish that all men were even as I am in this single condition. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. 
But I say to the unmarried or the widowers, perhaps, and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Uh, and just for the record, those last couple of words, with passion or with lust, however your translation puts it, are supplied. The scripture actually just ends at the word burn. <laughs> uh, so, uh, But what we can see here, I think, with that larger context is that Paul's really addressing the question of whether or not someone is willing to accept this lifestyle of celibacy as he's done, right? Uh, he's, uh, in his mind, he's been given a special grace and a power to live uh, as a celibate man, and but he's readily acknowledging that not everyone is going to be called to that. And so this passage here is really speaking to those who are trying to follow Paul's example of being single, remaining single, uh, but they've been struggling because they have this burning desire in them to be married. Uh, mm. And so for these Christians, he's saying, hey, marriage is a way to help you avoid this temptation you're facing. And it's that group of individuals that Paul's really addressing here and saying that, you know, marriage could help you with this, but um, but he's not talking to people who are already given over to lust and immersed in sexual immorality, which is, you know, the kind of people that often get this verse thrown at them as an invitation to, you know, get out a quick fix of sorts to their problem is, is how it gets used. So Paul's not recommending marriage as an answer for anyone who's succumbing to sexual temptation. You know, if you want to look for Paul's... Uh, you know, how he tells us to deal with sexual immorality, he's got a lot to say about it. You know, he tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 to flee sexual immorality, and he tells us in 2 Timothy that to flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You know, he tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4 to abstain from sexual immorality, and then goes on to talk about possessing our vessels in sanctification and honor honor, not in a passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, right? Uh, he says in, to the Galatians, walk in the spirit and then you won't fulfill the lusts of your flesh. Yeah. He says to the Ephesians, put off the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. He says to the Romans, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And in Titus, he says, deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So so that's what Paul's really, <laughs> if you want to know what he thinks about how to overcome sexual immorality, he's got a pretty strong record of saying, walk in the spirit, put off the old corrupt man, put on Jesus Christ, deny those lusts and, and the, make no provision for them. And twice he just says flat out, flee from it. You know, uh, So Paul isn't saying flee sexual immorality by going and getting married. That's not going to yeah. work, right? Yeah. Getting married can help somebody in some cases deal with that burning passion, but it's never going to be a cure for that. And it's, it's never by itself going to be sufficient to deal with, with the heart issue like we were talking about earlier here. So, uh, and, you know, then 
I think really, honestly, we can just look around and there are countless examples that we would all know of, mm -hmm. of people who are married, who are dealing with sexual immorality. You know, we get half the men in the program are in that category. And I was in that category, you know, getting married did not fix the lust problem and, and, and it never will by itself. So mm -hmm. I think ultimately, Nate, what the Bible teaches us here is that it takes the same grace and power to fight lust as a a single person, that's the same grace and power that you need to fight lust as a married person, <laughs> too. Can I add to that, Luke? Yeah. Can I just... <laughs> no, it is, is so true, what Pastor Ed was saying. I mean, it's just... Yeah, I don't have really much else to, much else to add. What I wanted to say was, yeah, 50% of our guys in our program are married. You know, and so you said that. I was like, yeah, I mean, that's that should almost just... Re that argument just by the numbers. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. come on, if it fixed, if marriage fixed it, then why is it that half of our guys are married that are in the residential program? Um, and then when I heard the question, it's like, what is the problem here? If your problem is having sex with yourself, if your problem is looking at other women online and, and lusting over them, <laughs> if your problem is pursuing all sort of perverted sexual pleasures, like, you're blame shifting again and saying, well, it's not my fault. If only I were to get married, then that would fix this problem. What's the problem? <laughs> you're having sex with yourself. <laughs> That's your problem. You're just being selfish. Mm -hmm. And if you think you're going to bring a selfish, flesh-driven lifestyle into a marriage and that's going to fix it, like, that's just delusionary. It doesn't make any sense, and that's why we have guys that oftentimes with their sexual sin comes all the other works of the flesh. It's yeah. Their anger is almost always like a cousin to it, and the wife's like, I, you know what, I could deal with the sexual sin, but he's always berating me, and he's he's angry at me all the time. He's angry at the kids, and, and he's just so selfish. He just watches all his TV, and his, you know, like... It's just mm. selfishness. <laughs> Stop trying to blame shift to this fact that you're single or the fact that my wife doesn't take care of me. That's, it's your own selfishness. That's the problem. Yeah, that's really good. Let's go to um, something else. And I think this kind of steps it back a little bit in terms of severity. This is a guy who's asking... I always hear that looking at women is just the way God made men. And I've always had a problem with that. Why would God make us in a way where we can't help sinning? Is it possible for me to stop lusting after women who are not my wife? And what about when we see immodesty in public? It almost seems automatic. I think he means to look. Mm -hmm. how, would you, how would you help a guy who's asking that question, Pastor Steve? Uh, 20, 30 years ago when I used to, uh, <laughs> I was crisscrossing the country speaking at men's events constantly, and I used to give a talk called Overcoming Lust, and I opened every single time, I opened with this little story I created. Um, a guy uh, is walking down the main aisle at Walmart. He's just, you know, guys, we're just going back to the automotive section. I'm going to get some spark plugs, whatever it is. <laughs> and he's just thinking about that, and he's just heading for wherever in the store. Yeah. And walking along, not thinking a thing, and then all of a sudden, out of a side aisle, steps Miss Perfect 10, and she's walking in front of him, you know, just kind of <laughs> her body. I mean, she's just 
beautiful. She's stacked, whatever you want to call it, tight clothes. And he sees that. He's just like, like a shot of adrenaline goes through him. So he says, I can't handle this. And he darts down the first aisle. So I give that little story. And then I would ask the crowd, I would say, was this guy in lust? And they're all like, oh, yeah, yeah, he definitely was. <laughs> and I said, actually, no, he wasn't. And I would say, God did create men to be attracted to women. That is how we are wired. That is how we procreate. And, you know, that is the way it's supposed to be. That is the nature of um, human reproduction. So it's only natural that you see a beautiful woman and that you are attracted to her in that way. It's what you do with it that determines if it is just stays in the natural realm or if it crosses into sin. This guy actually did the right thing. He got away from, just like Pastor Ed just said, he, mm -hmm. to flee from youthful mm -hmm. lust. That's exactly a perfect picture of that. I didn't mean to do that, but that certainly did it. And so I would explain that to guys because of this, because a lot of guys, they think that just the attraction to, mm. to see, you know, or just the fact that they are attracted to a beautiful girl or body parts or whatever, that that's automatically that sin. And then they get into the spiral of condemnation and discouragement. I'll never be free. I'll never it's be free. It's yeah. impossible. Yeah. And, and they just, they just give up. And what I want to say to guys like that is, no, that's not true. You just flee. You know, you, you react in the way that God would want you to react in that setting. And now if he, if he would have continued following the girl, ogling her, thinking sexual thoughts, okay, now now he's crossed the line into sexual lust and sin. But this guy did not do the wrong thing. He did the right thing. Hmm. And... That's how I would um, separate what this guy is describing. Being attracted to a woman is not wrong in itself. Mm. And um, I think just as I'm listening to, hear, listening to your response, I think it's also true that especially when you're right, when you're coming out of sexual sin, the immediate response to a pretty girl is going to be far more sexual than it will be 10 years down the line yeah. when you've really been developing that life with God. The, what it provokes in you or the sight, what that does to you will be much less strong. It'll be much less, I don't know, seductive. Well, I, yeah, just to add to that, um, you have habituated yourself. I did. I habituated myself to think of women that way. So, yeah, it does take time. And, you know, for myself, I got diverted. My attention got diverted from sex as being the most important thing in the world to me to pleasing God, which became when I went through the experiences I went through in those early days where I was really broken by the Lord— that just completely did a reset in my life and got me going in the right direction. But yeah, those early days was still, I still had struggles with that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and I just chime in here too. I know one thing that, that has definitely helped me um, is to have my mind 
filled with something else already, mm. you know, because I, we are always looking for something attractive. We're, that's how we're wired. And I don't just mean women. I mean, we're, we're made to want things that are attractive to us. Mm -hmm. And if, like for me, I'm a thinker or whatever. So one thing that has helped me at times is have a Bible verse that I'm meditating on. Mm -hmm. And if, if my focus is on that, then other things are around me, but they don't have that intense pull. Whereas if I'm just like unguarded, man, I'm just, yeah, <laughs> it's there. Can I add a little Please. divergence to that? One more little thing. This is, yeah, just, I just remembered this. I think I was in Seattle. So this was probably 30 years ago, whatever, when I was out preaching all the time. And I remember I was walking down, because I go on prayer walks every morning. I still do to this day. And so wherever I was in the country, I'd be out in the morning early, early, early having my prayer walk. So I was out there walking and talking to the Lord, and I was pleading with him, Lord, take this desire to look at body parts away from me. Please take it out of me. And and I was just practically demanding it of the Lord. <laughs> I was getting a little saucy with him. Um, but anyway, just and I actually had been praying that way, I think, for a matter of days or a week or two or something. It had just become this thing of, I want to be free, Lord. I'm sick of dealing with this. And the Lord spoke to me in that quiet whisper voice in my mind, you know, he said, you just don't want to fight. Mm -hmm. And wow, instantly, conviction shot through me. That was a word from the Lord. I wanted him to just zap me and take it away from me so I didn't have to battle my way through the struggle anymore. And I got it. When he said that, I knew exactly what he was saying, mm -hmm. that I was being, basically, I was looking for the easy way out, the lazy way out. Part of the um, Christian life is struggle. It's fighting. It's going against the flow. It's uh, resisting all the pressures of this world system and the enemy and our flesh. Part of the Christian life is all about fighting. And, you know, that's why I've said many times the Christian life is not for wimps because you have to fight all the time. And it's to be expected to um, that that a battle is going to be part of your life. So just resign yourself to it. And if you don't want to fight, then Christianity is not for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just biblical reference to that, Paul uses um, the um, battle analogy, war analogy so so much in his in the epistles. Um, Second Timothy, he's talking about, being a good soldier, uh, Ephesians 6 ta talks about put, putting on the full armor of God. So he is presenting the reader, us, with the idea this is a battle. This is going to be a battle. Prepare for battle. Wear the full armor, um, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the breastplate of righteousness, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not like we're unaware, like, the Bible tells us it's going to be a battle to prepare to fight, that we're going to need to fight, we're going to need to battle, but to always remember that the work has been completed. When Jesus mm. said it is finished, it is finished. There are battles to to fight, but the war has already been won. Mm. 
And so we, we can trust in the Lord and lean into him in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our battles, knowing that his blood and his, you know, the cross and Calvary really just washed us clean. And that is where our hope lies in the midst of the current daily battles that we go through. But it's all throughout the, all throughout the Bible um, as far as war and battles. And so um, we can't walk away saying, well, I'll, the, you know, I don't know that it, I didn't know it was going to be such a fight. No, it, it's, it's suffering is such a part of, you can read First Peter and suffering, 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 suffering. So it's just like, um, you know, we can't be ignorant to what the Bible is saying. Again, going, reading your word, getting into the word and understanding um, the truths of that. Suffering is involved. It is a battle. It is a mm-hmm. war. Yeah. Yeah, and then that's bringing up something that I, I remember um, is part of, I think it's the counseling department's sort of like vision statement or something that's constantly we trying to um, impart to the guys is that the victory is Jesus's own victory. And that's really what, um, it's not us finding a way to become sufficient in ourselves for the battle, but to I don't know, tap in or experience his own victory so that we really can say, I'm an overcomer, and yet it's Jesus. It's, it's him. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because I was actually thinking about it as uh, Jordan was speaking, that I want to just clarify what I was saying a little bit, that we win the battle only in the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't win it on our own efforts. That's the flesh fighting the flesh. That's yeah. not going to work. Uh, that's why men are always in a constant cycle of failures, because they're trying to fight the battle in their own abilities, and their own um, strength. It is through the Lord. It's by, what you say, tapping into the, the Lord. But how do you do that? Go all the way back to the beginning of the show. We do it by being plugged into the Lord in our daily life through prayer and the Word of God. Those are the weapons that He's given us in this warfare. And, you know, pull on, put on the full armor of God, Paul says. Why? Because of the, all these spiritual forces that we're facing in life. So we need the full armor of God, and that's a protection to us. Um, so, yeah, we, there's a battle, yes. Our part is to do our best, but ultimately it's God who empowers us to win those battles. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got one more question that came in before the show, and then we've, we've got some questions that have come in. We might be able to tackle um, a couple of these. But, you know, I know that for we deal with a fair amount of people who come out of the homosexual lifestyle or struggle with same-sex attraction, and I think that for men or women who are dealing with same-sex attraction, even though the heart issues are the same and even though the answers are the same, I think there can be this added layer of shame. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm so different or I'm, I'm unique or everybody else, yeah, their, their struggles are one way and it's just normal. I've got this abnormal, unnatural struggle that I'm dealing with. And I think the question for them is, okay, yeah, I know that I need to repent, or this is, um, this is a question that came in, is what does victory look like for me? You know, what, for, for me who struggle with homosexuality, what does is, what is real victory look like? 
right. <laughs> Checking with Jordan to see if he wanted to start with this one, but he's, he's gathering his thoughts, I guess. So, <laughs> you know, what does victory look like for someone coming out of homosexuality is a personal issue for me, uh, as well as Jordan. Uh, that's our testimony. Uh, and I'm sure whoever asked this question and anyone who's got a loved one who struggles, you know, what they hope to hear is that, hey, God's going to step in and change everything, you know, and you're, you'll never have any homosexual desires again. He'll just change everything, rewire you, and you'll have heterosexual desires in their place and, mm. and never have to struggle with same-sex attraction again. You know, that's what we want to hear. And when, when I came here uh, back in 2004, like that, that was literally my thinking. I, I thought that victory would mean that my desires got changed. I uh, was kind of um, expecting that even my desire for sinful pleasure in general would somehow just kind of dissipate, you know, and, and uh, somehow it would just dry up and blow away or something, you know. And, and I think alongside that, I imagined that I would be motivated by this great desire to please the Lord, to live for him uh, that would be so strong that I wouldn't even be allured by sexual sin anymore, you know, that somehow I'd have this immunity against even the temptation. And, and of course, you know, you quickly find out that none of that is quite right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe there are a few people that have experienced, you know, a change of their desires. I, I occasionally hear, you know, somebody claim that that's happened for them, but I've never met anyone personally. I've never counseled anyone who says to me at the end, yeah, my desires for homosexual <laughs> things are completely gone and, and replaced with heterosexual desires. Um, and I think that we just have to come to grips with the truth that the corrupt desires that we dealt with when we were giving over to our sin, they're the same temptations that we're going to face as we're walking out our victory over sexual sin. You know, we're not going to be in danger of backsliding into something we never did before. We're in danger of backsliding into the things that we used to do. That's the backsliding part of that. So, and fortunately, one of uh, somewhere along the line early on for me, I, I got some counsel from somebody who, who just pointed out to me, like, you're expecting to get to this place where you're not tempted, where, where you don't experience sexual temptation anymore, or homosexual temptation in particular. And he's like, but Jesus didn't get there. <laughs> you know, Jesus experienced temptation. Mm -hmm. It says in Hebrews 4 that he has experienced every temptation, you know, the same things you and I deal with. That's what he uh, had to face. Now, of course, we know that he was without sin, but he never got to some spiritual plateau where he couldn't be tempted as a man. And we won't get there either, you know. So really, victory has to look like not heterosexuality, but uh, holy sexuality. You know, that's what the Bible teaches. And it doesn't matter what you're coming out of, whether it's adultery, fornication, heterosexuality, homosexuality, or some, you know, perversion, uh, transgender issue. It doesn't matter. The goal the, where the Bible is going to take that is holy sexuality, where if you're single, there's a call for purity, you know, chastity. And if you're married, there's a call for faithfulness in that holy sexuality. And, mm -hmm. and that's it. That's victory. But it yeah. starts in the heart. We've talked a lot about the heart, but that really is the key. You know, um, like I like to go to David and Bathsheba, that whole account in scripture a little bit uh, as an example of what I'm trying to say here, because, you know, David committed his adultery with Bathsheba, led to the murder of Uriah and so forth. But, uh, 
before Nathan the prophet ever confronted him about his sin, he had already stopped doing it, right? He ha- there was no adulterous affair going on anymore. He'd actually married uh, Bathsheba, right? In the eyes of most pastors, they would look at that situation and say, oh, he fixed it. He took care of it. He's no-. But God was still so upset with it that he sent Nathan the prophet and confronted him in that situation because his heart still wasn't right in the matter. That's what God was looking at, and that's what God wanted to deal with. And, uh, and when David repented, and we can go to Psalm 51 and, you know, have this, this wonderful uh, poetic version of his uh, repentance, but in that psalm, he never mentions any specific sin at all. He never mentions the adultery, never mentions the murder, or anything specific, uh, and yet we consider this like the epitome of repentance when we read through that psalm, and, and I think it is because David is repenting of his heart condition. That's what the focus is in that psalm. It's his inside world. He says, if you wash me, Lord, then I'll be clean, but only then. You know, he needs the Lord's spirit to remain with him. Mm-hmm. And um, he understands that the sacrifice that God is looking for is a broken and contrite heart. And his petition is for God to create in him a pure heart, a new heart, a renewed heart. Uh, so his, uh, you know, David's, I guess, gives it to us correctly, you know, that the issue is the heart and holy sexuality is truly a matter of the heart. Hmm. Can I add a, add a thought there? Um, not to take anything away from that, because that was excellent, but I want, just to, like, jump it off in a slightly different direction. I'll just say this. I've said this many times. My flesh is my flesh. My flesh is no better right now than it was 40 years ago when I was in the awful, awful sin. My flesh is my flesh. And if I backslid today, I would go right back to the same garbage, basically what Pastor Ed was saying. I would go back to that level. Not, I wouldn't start way up here. I would go all the way. I would plunge. But here's the point I'm trying to get at is people think – because they have certain desires that, what's wrong with me? No, what's wrong with you is you're part of fallen mankind. You know, we all have a fallen nature, and and that is part of life is dealing with that fallen nature. But don't expect your fallen nature to improve. It's not going to improve. The answer is to live above that. Paul said, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, whatever those lusts are, homosexual desires, heterosexual, gossip, whatever it is. It's to walk in the Spirit, to walk with the Lord, to live with Him, live closely to Him. You get above that level, and those, um, you know, it's not that those desires are necessarily completely gone, but you're living in victory over them. You're at a different level in life, and that's a very important thing to understand because guys— uh, again, the discouragement thing. They think because they still have these same kinds of thoughts or same kinds of temptations that it means that they haven't changed. Well, maybe you have really changed. Maybe your spiritual life has gotten better and better and better, mm-hmm. and you're getting very close to really living in victory. So don't look at your flesh. Look at your heart because your heart is headed in a direction. If you're fully given over to sin and you want your sin, that's where your heart is. But if your heart wants to walk with God, 
then you are going to be headed in a direction mm -hmm. with your spiritual life. Okay, can we talk about one, one other thing that I think is probably, I would guess, but just the shame, the shame of having those desires. Um, and like you said before, that how you deal with those desires is sort of like the determining factor for, did I actually sin? But I know for some people, I've talked to people who maybe, we don't need to name the kinds of things that people have come out of and the things they still desire, but the shame is just so strong. I just, how could I want this? And even the desire is just so, um, they feel just so burdened under this. And it's, I don't know that it's necessarily even like, can God forgive me or am I changing, but just they feel like they're carrying around this, this self-loathing. Yeah, Jordan, you want to answer that? Yeah, I use a very simple analogy um, using walking in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, all of that. Um, and when I'm talking to a counselee who's dealing with shame, and, and I say, okay, shame, let's see, love, joy, peace, shame. Oh, not a fruit of the Spirit. Right. So immediately they see, OK, I'm not walking in the spirit. This is a counterfeit. Right. The kill, still and destroy that mm -hmm. Satan. Guilt is a gift from God. Guilt is necessary, but Satan will counterfeit guilt and turn it into shame, despair, self-condemnation. Right. That's where Satan wants to keep you. And if you keep going around that same mountain, you're going to want something to feel good. And, of course, sexual sin, is just, he just plops that in your lap, and you're like, okay, well, and then the accuser of the brethren comes in, shame comes in, you're just in this vicious, vicious cycle. But if you take guilt that leads to conviction, that leads to repentance, that leads to life, life abundantly, right, that, that's what God wants to do with guilt. Shame is you're still in that cycle of self. And, and Satan wants to keep you focused on self and self-condemnation, self-loathing. What is the first word in all? self, mm. right? And it's not a fruit of the Spirit. It's a sinful reaction to guilt. The biblical reaction to guilt is conviction that leads to repentance. And so I, I'm so ashamed, I'm so ashamed. Okay, love, joy, peace, shame. Nope, not there, mm. right? And, and so they... they Oh, wow, that's a sinful reaction. I should be convicted. That leads to repentance. And Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so your transgressions have been removed from you. Hebrews 8, 12, he remembers your sins no more. Micah, is it 7, 9, um, thrown into the sea of forgetfulness, right? Mm -hmm. One, If you've been truly repent, as Pastor Ed was talking about and has talked about today, then, then you're, you don't have to live in shame. That's Satan keeping you there. You can be free. You are washed clean. Isaiah 1, washed white as snow, right? Though our sins stained us, we're, we're washed and we're white. Um, and we can live in that and be thankful for that and, and walk mm -hmm. in that. 
Yeah, it, maybe I could just add a thought or two to that. Um, because as Jordan was talking, you know, there certainly is uh, that element of shame that's not warranted. You know, it is just because I have the desire like you were expressing, you know, uh, have a corrupt desire in me. Well, welcome to uh, a real sight of how depraved humans are. You know, that's the reality of it. We're, we just don't like to have to acknowledge that's how bad it gets. <laughs> that's, that's where we're at. Uh, but we don't need to walk around in shame about that. We need to go to the Lord and be redeemed by the Lord for that. Uh, but there is a legitimate shame. That's, that's the part that I wanted to just mention in, in all of this, that when we actually sin, when we cross lines and we act on those corrupt desires, there, there is a guilt that automatically comes, and hand in hand with that guilt will be shame, because we've done something Paul talks about, you doing those things that are shameful, and and it's right to experience that kind of shame for what we did. But here's what I think happens a lot is, uh, you know, the Lord wants to forgive us and, and has made that provision at the cross through Jesus, the blood, Calvary. But somehow, as Pastor Steve was talking earlier, we have these boxes, and somehow we separated the guilt from the shame in, in our lives somewhere along the way. And we understand that, that the, Jesus took the guilt for our sins, but we tend to want to hang on to the shame for them. And the answer for that shame is the same as it is for the guilt. You have to take it to the cross. You did deserve that shame, but it goes hand in hand with the sin, and God's forgiveness will take both the guilt and the shame and cover them and put them in that sea that Jordan was talking about and free you from it. And you do need to walk in that freedom and let go of that shame. That's, yeah, that's really powerful. Well, I, I do want to maybe just touch on one or two questions here since we've got some questions in the chat, but um, we'll probably try to wrap this up in the next five or ten minutes. But when a, this came in from Danielle. When, if a man is convinced that he's walking out repentance, but his whole focus is just on making sure that I'm getting what I want here on earth, you know, like I want my restored marriage. And so his, his focus is completely temporal, but he's saying, but I am walking in repentance. How do you, how do you talk to a guy like that? Yeah, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great question. No, that really is a good question uh, because, well, really the battle is in when we're getting free of all of this lust and sin and going through the repentance, the battle is, is has kind of several aspects to it. Um, and I think Paul uses a really good example in Ephesians 4 when he talks about the liar. And he says, you know, and I ask guys this question all the time, like, how do you know that a, a liar has really changed? And, you know, the default response is oftentimes, well, they stop lying. Yes, and that's true. You do have to stop lying to change from a liar. Um, but what are you really looking for to know that this person has changed? And the answer is when they start speaking the truth, right? That's when you know that the change has taken place. So if I'm just focusing on putting off and not doing this and not doing that, that's good. It's part of the process of repentance. But when I look at, let's say, lust, and it's just I'm repenting of the selfish-taking mindset, well, okay, I need to stop that. But if I don't put on love, then I didn't really repent. 
I just stopped being <laughs> lustful or selfish. Well, you got to take that and put on Christ, put on your new nature, and that's to love. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, love has all sorts of other, you know, manifestations to it. But that's what I would look for. It's not just a stopping. I'm, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. See, I'm doing good. Well, yeah, but are you loving your wife? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because if you're not loving your wife, who cares? You're not viewing porn. That's that's great. I mean, I guess who cares? It's it's good that you're not feeling porn. It's good. <laughs> but now finish it. Like go go the other way. Now love your wife, and and, and I think she'd be very pleased with that. <laughs> yeah, because if you don't go ahead and do the right put on, so to speak, yeah. you you won't maintain that victory. It's just an illusion, a temporal thing that you're you're walking in uh, until you do the the full repentance. Yeah. Mm, that's right. Um. Okay, is there any more in here? We'll just, I think we can answer this pretty, pretty quickly, maybe. But Enrique from Brazil asked specifically in 1 John 5 where, where John says there is a sin that leads to death. Is sexual immorality that sin or the sin that is being referenced there? Go ahead. Pastor Ed's shaking. You were shaking. Yeah, yeah. I am shaking my head. (laughs) No, I know that's not the sin that um, John was referring to. Really, the the sin of blasphemy, let's put it this way the sin of blasphemy ultimately is the rejection of the Holy Spirit and the rejection of Jesus Christ as being the the Lord of your life. That is the the unforgivable sin. I mean, you can't be forgiven because if you go to death with that rejection of God's offer of salvation and of of the Savior, then there is no hope for you. You have Mm. nothing. So it has nothing to do with sexual sin, though. That Mm. I know. Okay. That's really good. And I think that's a great question. We did get some of that coming in. I feel like I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I can never be forgiven. And what you just said is, is really helpful for that too because the only way you blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil. Yeah, um, and I would just say that actually people who are concerned about blaspheming, that's actually a very good sign or, or it certainly can be that they're going in the right direction. They're concerned. Because the people that Jesus spoke of as blaspheming were the Pharisees who cared, they didn't have any thought or concern about blaspheming. Mm-hmm. You know, they were, yeah, they were yeah. what they were. Yeah. But it's those who don't think about it are the ones who do that sort of thing. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been about an hour, and I think. We covered some really great stuff. Um, I'm really thankful for everyone who joined us. And again, links are in the description for a lot of different resources. Um, we, we are really, pr- <laughs> we pray, just so that everybody knows, every single week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, once a month for multiple hours, we pray, pray, pray for people who are in sexual sin, for men, for struggling women, for wives. We pray for pastors. This ministry is dedicated to helping Christians find real, true victory over sexual sin and to see marriages restored, to see lives redeemed, to just see uh, the church made ready for Jesus. So we're here for you, and um, if we can help you in any way, then please please use us as a resource. All right, I think that's it, and uh, thank you guys for coming in. 
Awesome. Yeah. All right. God bless you guys. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. Some of you are probably already thinking, man, there are a lot more questions that they could have tackled. And you're right. So we're definitely considering doing another live stream event in January. We will keep you posted as to the dates and times. We'll see you next time on Purity for Life. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.